Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Well, good morning. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Rev and uh, I'm so excited uh, to be speaking from God's word this morning to you. I'm going to be continuing our sermon series, which we've been working through since the start of the new year called Living in Tents. And I'm excited because this is our first Sunday in tents or hubs as we are calling them. And I just want to say I hope and I've been praying that you've had a great time uh, already this morning in your hubs, praising the Lord, praying together, hearing from God together, building community. This is a really start, exciting uh, start to a new season for us as a church. Uh, and what I love about this is as with Abraham's story, we, we know what God has spoken to us, that we've set out and uh, we will keep following the Lord uh, until we reach the destination he has for us. And we've been working through this series to help us process the journey that Abraham went on and some of the lessons we can learn. So we're going to be reading our passage from Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 10. You might want to be turning there now. I'd love us to read it together. So you might have your Bible with you, but the words will come on the screen. But maybe read it out loud with me. So Hebrews 11 verses 8 to 10 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went into the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And today we're going to be focusing on the part here where it says that he went out with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. And we're essentially looking at how we raise up and bring through the next generation. Let me pray. I'm going to jump right in uh, to this passage. Lord, thank you for Abraham's journey. Thank you for the faith that he showed. Lord, thank you for just dependence on you, Lord. And I pray that as we look more into his story and how he did it, Lord, you'd give us wisdom, give us insight. And let's see you in all your glory, Lord, as we look to uh, learn how we can raise up the next generation. Amen. Amen. So some things to help us with the context of this. If you didn't know, Isaac is Abraham's son and Jacob was Isaac's son. So we're talking about a multi-generational dynamic here. Father, son and grandson. Uh, and when Abraham was called by God, he uh, obeyed him and took his whole family with him. He knew he wouldn't inherit this land for 400 plus years, so he would never personally inherit it. But he stayed devoted and motivated to be faithful and believe in God for the promise. Now, we live in a Western culture in 21st century London, and we're used to kind of weekly plans, monthly plans, schedules, five year, 10 year goals, life goals, bucket lists. Something interesting about it, it's very individualistic. What am I going to do? What can I do this week? What am I going to do in my life? Abraham didn't have that. Could we honestly say we think about the next generation? You might have children, you might think about them, but do you think about that beyond that, the next generation? Are we thinking about how the decisions that we make now impact the next generation? If you are, maybe you're a bit better than me. But when we think about Abraham did from a worldly uh, in a context, from our modern day context, what he did does not compute. Abraham took his children and his grandchildren out of the city they were currently living in 
to be led by God whilst they lived in tents on their way to an undisclosed foreign land. They left comfort and security because they trusted God. Doesn't make sense in a worldly perspective. Whenever we talked about this, I keep imagining my granddad calling my dad and then me to talk me through this. My granddad's 82. It's like him going, right, Luke, God's spoken. Uh, we need to sell our homes, everything we have, and we're off to live in a new place. And I go, all right, granddad, so, so, so where are we going? He goes, I don't know. And then I go, but, but, but when, we, when are we going to get there? And he goes, not sure. Um, where are we going to stay? Intense. I go, okay. And why are we doing this? And I like to imagine that Abraham might have said something like this. We're doing this because God has spoken. And I completely trust that despite how good life might be, I'm going to be obedient to where he's calling us. Because those who put their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. And I'll go, all right, granddad, that's pretty compelling. In verse six, just before the passage we read, it says that without faith it's impossible to please God. I think you agree with me, it's fair to say that Abraham had faith in the bucket loads. And what is so powerful about Abraham here is that by taking his children and his grandchildren, they are learning from him this life of faith. They are learning how to hold on to the promises of God, how to live peacefully with uncertainty. He's showing how to live with the promise of God. And then so much so that they end up meeting God for themselves. God speaks to them and then renews that same promise to them. And they live by faith and pass that on to the next generation. It's like a relay race or passing on the battle. They're passing on this battle of these promises of God, this faith, this what he's done for them and passing it on. Isaac and Jacob became heirs of the same promise because of it, but it involved Abraham and Sarah bringing them right into their faith adventure, surrounding them in this environment of trusting God. They saw it firsthand. So much of what we learn in life is picked up from who we're around from normal conversations as we as believers live for Jesus we should be passing on this air this air we breathe to the younger generation what does a life living for Jesus look like it means loving him loving Jesus being in his word praising him praying to him they should see that it means being sacrificially generous giving off our time our money our energy, our resources. It's been hospitable. In this season, it might be cooking a meal for someone and dropping it over. Out of this season, it'll be having people over. It's looking for the needs of others. It's about being repentant when we're wrong, when we do wrong things, modelling that. It's being able to be honest about our weaknesses, our flaws, the times we get it wrong. It's about not being a hypocrite, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. Not talking behind people's backs. That's what it looks like to live for Jesus. And the people around us, those who are maybe younger in their faith, maybe younger in age, they should catch that off us in the way we live. By living in these ways, it will have such an impact. Jesus went to the cross and laid down his life in order that us, his spiritual offspring, might be many and fruitful. He laid down his life for us, we have to be able to make sacrifices for the spiritual advance of the next generation. We have to. 
We have to look at Hebrews 11, 39. So it's just uh, 10, 15 verses on from where we read. Hebrews 11, 39 says, And all those, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Hebrews 11 works for a load of faith heroes in the Bible. It says that they had faith, but they didn't receive what they promised. They gave their all, but didn't see their fulfilment. That's not a bad thing. They invested, they gave themselves. John 4, 38, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. He said, you are getting to reap to receive what others have laboured for. You now get to work in that. It's like saying, look, you receive and now you labour for others. It's beautiful. It's like secular. It's like, ah, let's invest. Let's grow. But we might not even see the reward. Someone else will get to reap that. What a wonderful uh, way of looking at how we should invest in the next generation. There's a famous Greek proverb. You might have heard it. I've heard it in a few different contexts and I really love it. It says, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they shall never sit in. It's talking about investing in the future. Do you want to plant trees that others will be able to enjoy? That others will be able to sit in? That's wisdom, it's planting stuff that others will be able to enjoy. That's investing in the future. We may not get to enjoy the result. We want to be so full of faith in the promise of God that we live in a way that others will benefit. It's what Abraham did. It's what Jesus has done for us. So I want to help us in these next few minutes look at how that can practically work out in our life. Things to look for. So I've got three questions to help us. Number one, who are you modelling a life of faith to? Like Abraham and Sarah model it to Isaac and Jacob. Who are you modelling to? It might be your biological children. It might be uh, younger people in the faith. It could be other people's children. It could be teenagers in this church. It could be just younger believers, people who have only recently come to know the Lord, people who aren't as far along in their walk with Jesus. These are people we can model life of faith to. The call to shine our light to all those around us. They should see it. People should see our lives looking different. They should catch a flavour, that air we're breathing. Really, someone is always watching us, always watching us. Not in like a big brother way, but people are always looking for how we react. I know in my life, whether it's my kids, my wife, my neighbours, they can hear us singing in our home. People are always watching us. What life, uh, who are you modelling to? Who are you modelling to? Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples. I mean, he's to go and tell people about him, about what he accomplished on the cross. Go and encourage people to grow in maturity. We are all called to make disciples. So who are you modelling a life of faith to? Think about it, it's really helpful to ponder because it helps with the next couple of questions about what that looks like. Because really is we're not called to be introspective or self-centred. Scripture doesn't focus, doesn't make us the centre of the story. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking to his followers, he uses, it's, it's coined as the greatest commandment. He says, love God and love others. Love God, love others. Do you notice, there's not ourselves in that. Love God, love others. It's really important that we're looking to love the Lord our God 
and we're looking to serve and bless others. So that's what we look at. Who are we modeling a life of faith to? Then the next question that follows that is, what life of faith are you modeling? It should be a life of faith and obedience to God. Like Abraham, he had faith and he followed. It should be one of trust over fear. Submission to God's will over control. Looking to God's timing and not our own. There's a, a wonderful interaction that happens in, in the Gospels with Jesus. And uh, a young man, or a man comes to him and says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, obey my commandments. And the young, rule, the young guy, he lists them off. I've done all these, done all these, and I've done these since I was a teenager. And then Jesus basically says, this is true. He says, this is true. But one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words. And he went out grieving that he was one who owned much property. So this, this young guy, he was um, living a life that by and large looked pretty good. Followed the commandments, good life, good life. Followed everything, followed the letter. But then Jesus prods. He prods his faith and sees if he'll be obedient to God's calling. Asked him to sell his possessions. And he's sad. And he's dismayed. We want to be people who not just have faith, but have obedience. Philippians, it talks about us uh, counting all that we have as worthless in comparison to knowing Jesus. Is that what people pick up when they're around us? That Jesus is to be considered so highly above everything else in our life. Everything else is basically worthless. That's what I want for my kids. I want them to see me value Jesus above everything else. Uh, in uh, a book by a guy called Ted Tripp, the, it called Shepherding a Child's Heart, which I really recommend. It's great for parents, but it's also just a really helpful just discipleship book in terms of just being able to pass on our faith. So the question you must ask is this. Are the values of your home based on human tradition and the basic principles of this world or on Christ? Do we, do we live a life that's based on what humans have always done or kind of society we live on or Christ? Subtle. But as I reflect, I think of the things that I do that are sort of, because everyone does that. And actually we're not called to be like that. We're called to be Christ followers and be faithful and obedient. Do the people around us, people closest to us see that? I want to share a quote from um, an article in The Spectator. I don't usually read The Spectator, but I saw this article on social media over Christmas. Um, and it's from a guy who doesn't follow Jesus. And he says, I am not religious. So it's not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel that their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there is nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become more like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. The guy who's writing this is saying, if you have a faith, I want to see it look different. I don't want you to see it look like me. 
Actually, as mature believers, we should have a life that to kids, to teens, to uh, new believers coming through, our life should look so radically different. They go, ah, I see what a life following Jesus looks like. And it doesn't mean it's all rules and regulations. It should have been full of faith and adventure, fun, laughter, joy. These are things that we find in God. We should be, our, our, our home, mine and Sarah's home with our kids as he and Sammy is full of fun, full of laughter. In the serious moments we read God's word, we pray, we sing, we dance, but we laugh. But over these last year, they've seen, they've been so up close and personal in our faith. Whether that's joining in prayer meetings early in the morning, whether that's seeing us mourning loss of jobs or loss of family, to seeing us process just emotions. They've seen it all. They've seen us argue, they've seen us reconcile. I want our kids to see us devoted to each other, but most importantly, devoted to Jesus. We have an amazing opportunity. And the thing is, our society doesn't really think about how we pass on these things to the next generation. Our society is sort of very insular and thinks about ourselves. There's a few ways we can do this. I've got a few examples of how we sort of show a lack of concern for, for like what lies beyond our lifetime. It can be in the environment. Do you know what I mean? We, we watch Planet Earth documentaries of David Attenborough and they're beautiful and they're harrowing some of the things going on. But it basically comes from humans using, <laughs> using up the Earth. That's basically what it comes from. And something needs to change to preserve the Earth for next generations. It can show in our lack of concern over things, subjects like abortion. And there's so many complexities to abortion. But in 2019, which was the year my son was born, there were 209,000 babies. Yes, I think that's right. Um, were terminated in 2009 in England and Wales alone. And of those abortions, 98% of those were performed on the grounds that the pregnant woman's health, mental health would be negatively affected if the birth went ahead. It wasn't because of life-threatening complications or anything like that. Now, I'm not saying, as I said, this isn't without complexities. But I'm just pointing out how it shows that this generation's mental health seems to automatically trump the survival of hundreds of thousands of the next generation. That's 209,000 children who would now be the same age as my son, Sammy. And another way that I, even I can be guilty of not looking to feed in the next generation is that I'm not thinking as much as I could about the spiritual content that I'm putting into my children or those I'm sort of looking after in the church because it can be a struggle or too much of a challenge and we just hope they figure it out. But the reality is we have found Jesus. We have found Jesus. Why would we not share that? Why would we not share that? I want my kids to come to know the greatest truth that they could ever know. I don't want to be agnostic about it. I want them to, sh I want them to know and love Jesus and serve him. So I'm going to feed them. I want to put it into them. I want them to learn about Jesus and all the amazing things he's done that he shows us a grace and mercy is undeserved. That's the life I want to model. That's my final question is what are you passing on?
What are you passing on to the next generation? Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall command your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. We need to train kids in the way that they should go, rather than tell them. Whether they're our children or our spiritual children, when, when we're in sort of that parent or disciple role, our goal should be to equip them for a life of following Jesus. That means giving them the tools to make good decisions. Giving them ways of thinking that help them to process the challenges of life. And principles that help them navigate the situations that life throws them. We know that life is not full of binary yes or no choices. Unfortunately, it's not that simple. So much of life is discerning the will of God for the situations that present itself. And we need to help those who are under our care to be able to look for the will of God rather than just teaching them stock answers. We have to be preparing them over protecting them. We have to be looking to, to pass on the truths of life. So I want to encourage us to be thinking about who are we modelling a life of faith to? What does that life look like? And what are we passing on? And there might need adjustments to make and talk about it in your GCs, your running partners. And if you don't know Jesus and you're listening to this today, I said Jesus has gone to extraordinary lengths for you. He gave his all, he made sacrifices for you. And here at Rev, there is literally hundreds of people who would be prepared to walk alongside you and show you the way of Jesus. We're not perfect, we don't pretend to be. But we know that Jesus has done an amazing work in our life. And we'd love to share it with you. And I pray now, and then you'll be able to go back into your hubs to finish our service. Lord, thank you for the lengths that you went to for us. Jesus, thank you that you gave your life for us so that there may be many spiritual offering and that we may be fruitful. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to consider the next generation, help us to look to you, help us to uh, think of, of others more significant than ourselves. Lord, help us to become an even more uh, loving and generous community. Lord, I pray that anyone amongst us all the kids coming through, all the teenagers coming through, um, they, might, they might come to know you, Lord. Lord, we pray that above all that you would be glorified in all of our actions and all of our words. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Um, I'll see you soon.